Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Davis Sowell will join us to discuss the glass universe. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, our understanding of the universe would be far poorer were not for the ladies of the Harvard Observatory. In her new book, author Davis Sowell has chronicled their achievements in exploration of the universe. The book called The Glass Universe, How the Ladies of the Harvard Observatory Took the Measure of the Stars, earned acclaim upon its release and is now available in paperback. The author, Ms. Davis Sobel, is one of the most prominent, critically acclaimed, best-selling narrative nonfiction writers working today. A former reporter for the New York Times, she's uh, penned several books, including Galileo's Daughter and the Planets, and again, her book is called The Glass Universe, and Ms. Sobel, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grok's Science Show. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, well, certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book you've written here, The Glass Universe, in which you talk about some of the early observations that were made at the Harvard Observatory by a group of uh, women, one which uh, up until this point not very well known. I- I'm curious, how did you become interested in their story? I first heard about them from astronomer Wendy Friedman. I was interviewing her for a magazine article some 20 years ago. At the time, she was in charge of a Hubble telescope project about the size and expansion rate of the universe. And she mentioned one of the Harvard women, Henrietta Leavitt, as a person whose work was still of fundamental importance in in uh, estimating distances in space. And I was surprised to hear that. I had not known about Henrietta Leavitt before that. So I went to try to learn some more about her and then discovered that she was just one of a group of many women working at Harvard, which seemed even more remarkable, uh, considering that Harvard is not all that welcoming to women now, let alone in the 19th century. So I, I thought, that was definitely a story. And I, I found out that many astronomers knew the names of these women, but the story hadn't been told. And even among astronomers who knew about them, there were a lot of myths about the group, about the way they were treated. That turned out really not to be true. So maybe you can take us back to the, the early inception of the observatory and how these women came to be employed in the observatory. And um, the, in the early days of the observatory, which was mid-19th century, the uh, director lived on site, lived right in the observatory building. So it was an easy matter to just corral his, uh, his wife, his sister, his daughter into the work. Observatories always needed computers, people who were good at math, to do the 
calculations that that would turn some observations, rectify some of the observations, help figure out the orbits of the of comets that were discovered or asteroids, or even in uh, settling the positions of of stars in the sky for navigation. So in uh, in in training his family, the director saw that the women could do the work perfectly well. So from there, it was an easy next step to hire women from outside the observatory family who were mathematically inclined and just teach them what needed to be done. And by the time my story begins, which is around 1880, there were half a dozen women working at the observatory in this type of job where they were doing calculation, computation, um, and being computers. But the director was instituting a new program, bringing photography into astronomy, something that many people questioned. They thought it was a gimmick, it wouldn't last. But he had complete faith in photography as something that would change the science of astronomy. And once he began taking photographs, which he took on glass plates, uh, which is why I called the book The Glass Universe, because over a long period, hundreds of thousands of these plates were made and actually contained the universe. So he could turn over these photographs to his women assistants, and they could examine them under microscopes with magnifying glasses and discover things that no one had ever seen through a telescope. So they quickly moved from being computers to being astronomers making discoveries. You, you chronicle a number of their, uh, their discoveries. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, what were some of the major discovered from glass plates and what still resonates today? In- One of the first things they did was to try to tell the relative brightness of all the stars. Astronomers had been interested in that, but there was no system, no baseline scale for really making a, a judgment that could be agreed upon by astronomers all over the world. So they, they worked on that, uh, setting up uh, a, a sequence of stars of known brightness. They also worked on categorizing the stars, uh, dividing them up into classifications that would make sense for guiding future research. And the classification system at Harvard was accepted nationally and then globally during the lifetimes of these women. So that was very rewarding for them and and for astronomers generally. Uh, Another one worked on looking for variable stars, stars that change their brightness over time and made an observation that led to the first yardstick for measuring distances in deep space. Um, This is another thing that is still used today. And another one of the women uh, looked at the plates that, um, that showed the light passed through a spectrum. Some of the photographs were taken through a prism, rather, that showed the spectra of the stars, so the the light spread out into its component colors and lines. 
because it was black and white photography, but you could still tell the different colors through shades of gray. And she studied those to determine the relative abundance of the different chemicals in the stars and was the first one to point out that hydrogen seemed about a million times more prevalent than anything else, which was completely counter to what had been expected. And her results seemed like a mistake at first, but it took only a few years for the whole astronomy community to come around and agree it really was mostly hydrogen and helium. I'm curious, you said the book, uh, The Glass Universe, was uh, titled after these glass plates, but I'm wondering if it's also something of a double entendre. Uh, you're right, it is a, an intentional reference to the term glass ceiling. But the work of the women was published under their own name from the beginning. The director was very fair that way. And because their names were attached to the work, their names became known throughout the astronomical community. And several of these women became world famous in their own lifetimes. And they were elected to membership in the first American professional society of astronomers. And several of them became honorary foreign members of other groups, such as the Royal Astronomical Society. And although it was unusual to have women in these roles, I'm happy to say it is not at all a chip-on-the-shoulder story. They were well-received, well-recognized. The only unhappy part was that they were not all that well-compensated. Uh, they did complain about their salary, but that is something that we still contend with today. Uh, women in science or in any field usually find that they are not earning as much as the men doing comparable work. So these were, again, pioneering women in a field heavily dominated by men, still heavily dominated by men. Do you, do you think that that story is changing? I, I hope it is an encouraging story to young women, young girls and young women, because there is still such an attitude of disbelief about women's ability to do science. And it's nice to be able to say how many women were productively engaged in, in this kind of work in this one institution uh, and just just showing that there's no impediment to a woman's taking on mathematics, astronomy, physics. There's, there's excellent precedent for it. So I hope that will be an encouraging story. It, it hasn't been a continuously, a continuous upswing because after World War II, things went backward and the opportunities for women were, were shrunk. But today at Harvard, probably a third of the professional staff of, of what is now called the, the Center for Astrophysics, the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, about a third are women. But among the graduate students, it's, it's almost 50%. Well, certainly very encouraging. I'm, so what was the legacy of the observatory? One legacy is the collection of half a million glass plates, which are still at Harvard, in the building that was constructed specifically to hold them, because the original observatory was a wooden building. And once the plates started to accumulate, the director became terrified that there might be a fire because he knew he had a unique resource. And even now, the plates are 
highly valued. Astronomers, although they use very different technology now to image the, the universe, they often need to refer back. They want to know what was happening in this particular part of the sky 100 years ago. And this plate collection is the only way to find that out. So for a little over 10 years now, a digitization uh, project has been underway so to preserve the plates and also make them widely available easily. People have been traveling to Harvard to be able to examine them there. But you can imagine that could be difficult for many, and also the plates are very fragile, so much better to have them in a form that can be accessible online. Another is the, um, the classification system that's still used for stars was developed by, completely by the women at the Harvard Observatory. The basis of the distance scale and the sense of the relative abundance of the chemical elements in the stars, all of that came out of their work. Well, this really is a very fascinating story, and I certainly hope uh, people will go take a look at the book, The Glass Universe, How the Ladies of Harvard Observatory Took the Measures of the Stars, the author, Ms. Davis Sobel. And uh, Ms. Sobel, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. It's been fun talking to you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.